Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hello and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined alongside Ryan Abraham and Chris Trevino in studio to recap USC's 47-24 loss in the Pac-12 championship game to Utah. Guys, you've had a couple of days to get get over Las Vegas, the game, <laughs> everything other than the game, and now we're going to be here to talk about it. First of all, how are you guys doing and are you guys ready to talk USC's 47-24 loss to Utah? Doing okay, Jack. Yeah, we all got to go to Vegas, which is always fun uh chris and i did a little road trip could have did it you know i guess this shows the state of the program that we could have easily done like an emergency podcast on the drive home we elected not to you know you got 11 and 2 you're only lost you lost to utah a couple of times you know defending pac-12 champ it's okay you think coming into the season not a bad place to be but uh yeah very disappointing game that didn't go the way certainly the way i thought i think everyone in our staff picked usc to uh cover the the small spread but um, still good time in Vegas. A lot of USC fans there. I think they were well represented. Uh, they were ready for a win. Didn't get it, but I thought it was a good sign that you know the first time USC gets a chance to play a championship game in Las Vegas for the Pac-12, that the fans did show up. Absolutely, uh, just terrible game for any USC fan to attend. Right, felt very similar in terms of the flow of the first game in. Salt Lake City, where USC had that early momentum, and then slowly but surely, here come the Utes. The only difference here was obviously Caleb Williams hurt, injured early in the first quarter, and that really threw everything into a whack for that offense. It was just a perfect storm of bad things happening for USC, and it couldn't recover. You know, getting injured, your Heisman candidate and the guy who covers up a lot of issues for you on that offense and you know sometimes when it's not clicking he can make things happen and wasn't able to do that wasn't able to be superman and the offensive line not having the tall american andrew Voorhees shuffled around at times that line got straight up abused uh particularly on the right side and when you have a uh, injured caleb williams and an abused offensive line not a great combination and then no. the defense's issues you know there were spots where they i feel like at times they did enough to just keep them in the game but with Caleb wounded and the offense unable to move the ball it just it was all for naught and at, at, at one and then at certain points it just broke wide open with poor tackling which we've seen uh, at times this season they had seemed to be turning the corner in terms of 
you know, getting people down to the ground, making those tackles. Uh, I think it was only 14 missed tackles in the last three games uh, prior to this one, and then 25, a season high, a uh, little sh- uh, stat that Shotgun put out uh, this weekend, but just an abysmal performance in terms of getting the getting the ball carried to the ground, and especially at critical moments. It felt yeah. like every missed tackle they had came at a back-breaking really moment. Really worst time. At yeah. the worst time. <laughs> the worst time, and that was that was you know the difference you know if they get half of those or end in tackles or, or relatively clean stops you know maybe USC has a chance maybe it's a little it looks a little bit closer I think the the score indicates a worse loss than it actually was uh, USC cut that that thing to three on a heroic drive from Kayla Williams but defense had nothing at that point and it just kind of broke broke the back of this one and yeah if you if you went to Vegas you know that's a tough sight to see. You know, used to lose to Utah twice, see them celebrate another Pac-12 championship while the Trojans, you know, limp off into the into the locker room. So brutal end, not the end of the season, but a brutal end to, you know, what could have been uh, a ring for this team and more. Uh, so this will be a what if for the Trojans moving forward. But as Ryan said, you know, a great season overall. Uh, that's has a bitter taste right now at 11 and two, but look at where they were a year ago. You know, they weren't supposed to be one win away from the playoff yeah. and they were. And if Kayla Williams doesn't get hurt, you know, maybe we're talking about a matchup with Michigan right now. Who knows? So just a lot of unfortunate things happened in, in Las Vegas for that team, but hats off to Utah. I mean, they, you know, weathered that early storm and they made the plays and they were deserve a champion, a uh, good program. You know, Kyle Whittingham, good coach. So yeah. I know people don't want to hear that out of my mouth, but <laughs> you got to give Utah some credit uh, for what they did and able to weather that those pu- early punches early. And that's all I got for you. Yeah, they might uh, catch a little break because two Big Ten teams go into the playoffs. So you get like, would it be Penn State or something? They're gonna get? Is that the Rose Bowl? I didn't see what yeah, that was. Yeah, it's Utah, Penn State. Utah, Penn State, yeah. So a little break. You don't have to play Ohio State or something again uh, in the Rose Bowl. Let's let everyone know. Um, so yeah, we're going to keep the show going. Uh, it depends. Like Jack, I know probably going to be out of town. So we're going to figure out a new schedule of what we're going to do. Maybe we get some stuff going remotely. If you're watching right now live on YouTube, please smash that like button, subscribe to it, put us on, on notice because we might be changing some of the time. So it'll give you a little notification uh, when we do go live. And if you put your comments in the chat, if you put questions, we're going to focus on questions a lot today. So put question the first thing and Jack can star it and kind of look at it later. And he's going to put up some of your comments as we go. And if you're watching on uh, Twitter uh, as well, thank you very much for, for doing that. And we're going to take live calls. So it's a therapy session. Yeah. We're trying to make this like we're, there's some topics we're going to talk at the beginning. 512 for tunnel is the number. If you want to call in and we'll try to take your call, keep them brief. We don't want to like just be talking forever. It's not like, you know, we, it's not therapy that way you don't get an hour uh, on the couch, but we want to you know, I'm not get getting paid the, for this. So right. Unless you uh, want to pay me. Apparently we can get tipped. A spec, yeah. So, and, I apologize. Someone pointed this out last week. I wasn't thanking a super chats or super likes, or I, I really don't even know what, the, I didn't even know that was a thing. Terrible. And people, I still don't know it's a thing, Terrible. but it, so if you donated last week or at some point, thank you so much. I don't even know how you do that or, or why, but thank you. You don't have to donate to us, but and if you want to, that's great. But, um, so Ryan, I understand that people in your generation might not understand, but <laughs> on YouTube, people can pay money so their comments filter at the top. That's just something that us youngins know. Oh, so the youngins know. Okay. Well, if you want your comments, that's a, that's a reference you might not have caught. Yeah. If you want the, you know, if you want your comments filtered to the top, and we have a youngin that's going to be looking at them, I'll be looking at them here. 
uh, yeah, you can do whatever. I'm blind. That is. I can't see nothing, so don't worry about. Me. Yeah, but thanks for that. So I, if you guys donated last week or at some point, and I didn't notice, just I didn't even know that was a thing. So my apologies. Yeah, well, we know we know <laughs> that the game was on Friday, and it's already Sunday, and I feel like Trojan fans were probably already seeking out all the explanations for the game they could find, and at this point, they probably don't want you know a rehash a couple days later. But we have to talk a couple things, and I want to start it out before the game because. First time USC playing in Las Vegas in a very long time. Their first national title or the first uh, Pac-12 title game since 2020 and the first real one since 2017. Let's start with just the atmosphere in Las Vegas in Allegiant Stadium. What did you guys think? I went last year and it was mostly Utah fans, but pretty full. This one was more full and it was about half and half. thought it was great. Uh, a lot of Utah fans, a lot of USC fans. USC had a little bit of advantage because they knew a week ahead of, of Utah, but Utah's going to come out and support their team. Um, no, I thought it was... It's so much better than when it's at Levi Stadium. Like, that's places like a cavernous, just, it's just awful. Like, no one's going there. People wet. People came to this one. You saw, you know, we would run into Pac-12 people. You'd run into Utah people. We were staying at the Utah Hotel. Um, like, a Utah player got into the locker, you know, I mean, not locker, to the elevator okay. with us. Um, I think it's a way, way, way better environment. If you didn't get to go, try to go next time. Um, USC will be there again. Uh, it definitely was worth Whoa. it. Whoa. Yeah. I love I love it. I love the environment. Yeah, it was a great environment. Uh, super packed. One of the most electric atmospheres I've ever covered uh, for a college football game uh, since I started covering college football. So definitely felt 50-50. But yeah, Utah, they were loud. You know, when the times when they were needed to be loud, they were really loud. Especially uh, as that game went on, they were they were making more plays. USC uh, kind of quieted when it was seventeen three. It definitely wasn't very loud. But then the momentum just started. Caleb gets hurt and the momentum shifted and then then it got louder and louder. And once it tie, it's like, okay, now we're excited again. And then take the lead. And yeah. So that was that was unfortunate for USC because they suck the wind could have put them away and then kind of take the crowd out of it a little bit. But I thought the USC fans were loud too. They just weren't as loud as the uh it's a loud place. It is very, you know, we're up in the I'm up in the press box. It's like you're looking straight down on stuff. So um, you know, I went there last year and it was just more like casual just to go check it out and Tweet some stuff, but yeah, it was definitely it's a it's a it's a neat one. And then, you know, it's an NFL stadium. Um, they wouldn't let us uh, the the press box media onto the field afterwards, so I didn't get the field view of everything like you guys did. But uh, being up there, yeah, you're definitely above it all, kind of checking out things what's going on. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, you don't get to be in many domes calling college football games or being at college football games, so that's a new experience. I mean, the dome held in the sound, especially pregame, but like national anthem and then post-national anthem when teams were coming out, fans were getting loud. It was it was pretty deafening in there, and I thought both fans had different moments where they got to erupt. Uh, eventually, you know, the Utah fans won out. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't say – I wouldn't say it was mostly Utah fans, but I also I'm not sure it was 50-50. I think there were probably more Utah fans there, and – at the beginning, once we arrived, I thought, wow, Utah might blow out USC fan-wise. And that's because we were in the Utah hotel. So every fan we were seeing was a Utah fan or a parent or family member or even player, which is something that I, I didn't notice until uh, just, I think it was the morning of uh, of on Friday. Okay, you got it. Any thoughts? Yes. <laughs> All right. There wasn't a question in there. Okay. Well, but, you know, you're supposed to. You want to talk about every person I saw on the casino floor? You want to talk I about losing my you money? Had, you, you had that same, uh, uh, you had that same, like, observation that we were in the Utah hotel and that you originally thought, wow, there might be way more Utah fans here than USC fans, no? I thought both teams were in that hotel, to be honest. That's what my assumption was, but no. 
Yeah, USC was, was down at, at the sports, uh, Resorts World. Resorts World. I keep saying Sports yeah. World. I don't know why. But there was a lot of USC, like, parrots, I think, in, like, Delano or, you know, the like Mandalay, Mandalay Bay. Bay area. Um, obviously, Utah people were there. Um, I was at the craps table with a guy from the Utah Compliance Department. Uh, we were both at that craps table. It's rather late, actually. Uh, that was fun. Uh, that was good. That was a good one. We had a Still good time with that. craps, but... I was trying to teach Chris craft. Chris wanted to learn craps. We stopped at uh, Prim to charge the car on the way in and uh, did like a... Virtual craps. Virtual craps. Because it is different. It was, it was like in the morning, so they didn't have like their craps table open. But uh, yeah, we played some. Play blackjack. You did some blackjack. For real. Shout yeah. out to Rose, the you, dealer. The dealer. Who was very annoyed. You were, you were doing great. You I had blackjack on my first hand ever. That was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I lost, so had, but I lost money though. No, no, you broke even. I right? did broke even after that, but yeah. Yeah, I will. It was fun, Jack. A couple of years, you'll be able to gamble <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah, well, ten that, years, he'll be fine. And we had a really nice gathering. So if you came to the gathering uh, pregame, we were at the uh, Bet MGM Sportsbook and Bar at Park MGM, which is the media hotel where we were, and also, like you said, uh, where the Utah players were staying. But anyway, we had like 60, 70 people in there. Some player parents, a um, lot of you know, a lot of fans represented. Came in. That was a good time. Just to kind of Thursday night, little pre, uh, you know, get the motivations going. It yeah. was fun. I bought a couple of those beer towers and some huge appetizer platter for people. We had a good time. It was I, fun. I dressed professionally. And you did. Yes, you were a macho you man. You were a professional rodeo fan. There was a rodeo in town, and I thought you fit in very well in your macho man outfit. Yeah. There's always stuff going on. There's a big rodeo in town. There was also like a big Amazon conference, like 50,000 people. Amazon? Like, Amazon was there too. Yeah. So crazy. AWS or whatever that is. Yeah. There were way, way, way too many people in Las Vegas for ease of access <laughs> anywhere. Um, but I think Chris's gambling weekend is actually a pretty good. Uh, analogy for the game for USC. They got out to an early lead. They hit blackjack on the first hand. They scored on their first couple drives. But then after that, it really went downhill. I don't know about the breaking even part at the end for USC, yeah, but let's talk about it. Let's talk, As we kind of quickly go through the game, let's talk about it in the two parts. USC goes up 17-3. You've got a couple touchdowns for USC. You have the long Caleb Williams run where he has the injury, and you get a couple defensive stops. Let's focus there. What were your takeaways from that first uh, couple drives? It definitely felt a lot like the first game, and then USC wasn't really able to separate, and then you get to the 17-3 thing, and I just thought it was really important to get separation. Like, and Riley talked about it after the game. There was the fumble, and uh, USC gets the ball near midfield or whatever it was, or Utah territory, and that doesn't really go anywhere. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a, that's a a fail. And I think, was that a failed two-point fail? Fourth down, or they punt on that one. I forget which drive that was, but but anyway, so not you know you have an opportunity to go up uh, three scores and really kind of put the game away. And I, I don't begrudge you know Lincoln Riley. The first two scoring drives had to go for a fourth down. USC was one of thirteen, I think, on third downs or one of twelve. I mean, it was bad. But those first two touchdown drives, each one of them had a fourth down conversion. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a problem with the third one, just kicking the field goal. I know some people didn't like it, but hey, seventeen three, you're up two touchdowns. With the ball, and then an opportunity to go up three. And that's where things just sort of fell apart. We didn't know at the time Caleb Williams was injured. Uh, and then it just was, you know, a, a disappointing effort after that. There were some stops, you know. Like, even when Caleb Williams was hurt, you could tell in the second half. I, I think USC had five straight drives that were like four and out, four and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. So, like, that was terrible. Like, a terrible run, and Utah can go. But USC's got a couple stops in there. But like Chris said, just so many missed tackles. Like, there's no way you're going to be able to overcome that. And uh, they did a nice job with Michael Meyer uh, last week against Notre Dame. He caught balls, but he didn't get yards after the 
after contact, but man, Utah got yards after contact for days. And uh, that third third and nineteen was probably one of the worst plays I've seen. And uh, you can't you can't let that happen. Like that's a stop you need to make. So yeah, it's just it's disappointing. But I feel like there was a you know the wind kind of came out of the sails once Caleb Williams got hurt. He had that one heroic drive to cut it to 27-24. but that was all she wrote. And going back to that decision to kick the field goal and go up 17-3. But remember, Utah's next drive, they get that huge fumble. And it's like all USC at that point. Max Williams, you know, diving at the ball, swipes it away. Bryson Shaw jumps on it. And you, you, USC has the chance to go up 24-3 to on Utah in the first half. And, you know, USC is unable to put the ball away. They're unable to. They go front and fourth down. I believe that was a turnover and downs. And the momentum shift right back. And that's when it was becoming a little bit clear that something was wrong with Caleb Williams. You know, you know, after the initial run, he just looked exhausted. And I thought it was just exhausted, which I, I'm sure it was a little bit of exhaustion. But he also just didn't look completely right. There, He just looked tired. Um, and I don't know, maybe it was just like the adrenaline hitting him of, you know, making that run and feeling that hammy pop as as Lincoln Riley described it and I think he was riding off adrenaline after that and then it kind of teetered out by the end of the first half and then and then in you know the locker room you're kind of just sitting around and it kind of got tight on him and that's why he, it was more prominent he was he was on the he, bike he a was, lot trying. on the bike trying to keep it loose it was he was limping you could clearly see him um on one leg so it just got progressively worse as the game went on and that was Again, a huge difference maker, but you have that fumble, and if you can punch it in, at, or at least get a field goal, you know you're up twenty to three or twenty four to three, and just being and not able to get that any points there, and Utah being able to, you know, get that fourth down stop was just huge for the terms of shifting that momentum right back. All right, yeah. wait, let's go to let's go to our first super chat. Yeah, is, thanks, Michael. I just I just saw that. I was like, ooh, we got it. Well, yeah, five dollars from Michael. Whoa. He says, "Isn't defense Riley's Achilles heel going back through OU?" Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I shared an elevator or shared a shuttle with like all the athletic guys, which I, you know, Bruce Feldman and I've been friends for a long time. But um, you know, Stuart Mandel, I've known for a long time. Just met Ari Wasserman fairly recently. We both know Antonio pretty well, and uh, and uh, Andy Staples. And that was one thing that was kind of talked about among that group that we were chatting about is just like you know what. Oklahoma defense was this like there's there's just been a lot of similar defenses and uh, I think it was Andy or maybe it was Stu someone asked him in the press conference like about you know defensive philosophy and you know going back there and um, he hasn't really kind of addressed it that much yet but that's certainly been a concern you know and I know a lot of fans want to know what's going on with Alex Grinch just from reading the tea leaves from what I've heard you know from Lincoln Riley his answers on that my guess is he's not making any kind of move. There probably is going to be some shuffling on the defensive staff, but my guess would be he's not going to uh, make a move there. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. He talked about you know guys being in the right position, which would indicate, hey, the scheme was fine. The guys were in the position they just didn't tackle. So we're going to hit the portal hard, every position. So my guess is going to be he's going to address it with players and not necessarily scheme. That's just my kind of read on things. But yeah, that's, you know. But I think sometimes when you're scoring, when you're getting guys that are winning Heismans, you know, Jalen Hurts puts a hell of a lot of pressure on opposing defense. You know, Baker Mayfield puts a lot of pressure on opposing defense. Uh, Kyler Murray, Caleb Williams. 
So you you kind of have to, you know, the other the, the opposing offense has to kind of step up their game, and they're going to go for a lot of fourth downs. They're going to. So I I feel like some of that is just like you can't help it if you have a really high scoring offense too. But yeah, you could definitely do better than what they <laughs> than what we saw on Friday. Yeah, assuming there's no change at the DC position, as you've alluded to, it's going to be on. The pressure is going to be on for next season in that defense, just based on what they can get out of the portal, a full high school recruiting class. The pressure will be on, you know, Grinch and that side of the ball to take a not a small step, but a significant step forward in 2023. You know, it being Caleb's last year and, and be able to make a run in the Pac-12 and possibly beyond that for the for the pl potential playoff after they got so close this year. So the pressure will be on that side of the ball to show significant strides for uh, for 2023. And I, I don't want to go as far as to call it like a feel like a make or break season, but it will be a lot. That will be the number one thing people are going to be looking at going into next year. For sure. Um, it's funny, and I think I was, I think I was talking to Bruce about this. Uh, look who USC added in the transfer portal on offense. Like, is there a defensive player that's as good as Caleb Williams? No. Mario Williams, is there a defensive player? Like, no. Travis Dye? No. I mean, maybe Austin Jones? No. Um, who else, like, offensive I would say, I would say Eric Gentry and Makai Blackman are the two best that they added defensively. I mean, yeah. those are two guys that are probably eventually going to be drafted in the top half of the NFL draft, if I were to guess. And like Gentry's like, you know, he was young and, uh, you know, Blackman was like the second best corner on Colorado, but still, you know, good. But they didn't add like the superstar kind of talent like you did uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So it's like, uh, I mean, I mean, I didn't mention Jordan Addison, I, the Bolitnikoff award winner. Like, um, yeah. Is anyone better? To hit? No. So there's probably, you know, you probably added five offensive players that are better than, you know, higher caliber player than anyone you added on the defensive side, which I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that that's a, but you just know that the offense could get a lot better pretty quickly. Um, you know, and I feel like now that you've won double digit games, you've proven that this can be a winning, you know, you're this close to winning a championship and all that. They're going to be able to hit the portal and uh, they're not going to get as many guys out of the portal. This, this go around, but they're going to still get guys, you know, so uh, we'll kind of see, but they're, you know, I think they're recruiting well overall, uh, but the portal stuff, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, that's that starts in like hours. So the portal opens. It's going to be a little different because now there's like limited times when you can do it. Like you can grad transfer whenever you want. If you're an undergrad, you know, if you're you haven't graduated yet, the portal opens what midnight, right? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be like insane. It's because all these people are entering. Yeah. So yeah. So we're probably not going to sleep for a couple of days. Just kind of figure out what's going on. Um, Great. No, you you should take a break. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be nuts. Uh, with the portal, portal palooza. So every time it's a little bit different. It's going to be a lot different now because they've said we're not. You can't do it all at once. Well, now it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, you can't do it whenever you want. Now it's going to happen like all at once. So it's going to be kind of crazy. Yeah, and I, I mean the the talk about the defense is interesting because I think there's multiple factors where I mean Lincoln Riley's the offensive coach. He hands the the defense over to his defensive coordinator, which he does have a say in deciding. But I always think it's funny that people say that bad defenses follow Lincoln Riley when I mean he's not the defensive coach. There are head coaches that are the defensive coach, Nick Saban, uh, but there's Lincoln Riley's not one of those. So I, I just think it's funny, you know, he came from the Big 12 where routinely there's not great defense being played. This year he inherited a, a, a Clay Helton uh, 
defense, recruited defense that went four and eight last year. They made and some one strides. of the worst defenses we've ever seen. Yeah. yeah, and I mean they made strides. It just you're going to have this discussion when you give up. I'll go give up a 44 to seven run with how many tackles they missed. I still think they made progress. We were sitting here a week ago talking about how well they played against Notre Dame. So college football is a fickle sport. You know, uh, the narratives are going to be pushed based on what's happened recently. And right now uh, with the way the regular season ended, that's just what the discussion is going to be about the USC defense. And we have to mention that the second half of that game, the 44 to seven run that Utah went on is clearly what changed the game. Caleb Williams' uh, hamstring and the limitations of the offense and the offensive line were a big part. The defense's tackling was also a big part. So I guess maybe just one takeaway from each of you about the 44-7 to run. Yeah, and real quick on the defensive side, like sometimes you see defensive coaches that don't really want like a high-powered offense that takes chances. I don't think there's a lot of offensive coaches who are like, I don't want a defense that's like getting three and outs. You know, like I don't think they're doing that. He's not like, oh, let's make like all turnovers and – uh, give up tons of yards. I don't think Lincoln Riley is like preaching that philosophy, but if you have a defensive coach, sometimes they don't want you to, no, don't throw the ball. Let's just run, 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 and, you know, then punt and we'll, we'll play defense. So I don't think it's something like that. But yeah, that 44 7 run, I mean, just to, I, this is a team you're going to get demoralized if you're not scoring. You know, we, we, they were going back and forth in the last game and there was back, there was just no fourth. And uh, you just, USC just wasn't able to score. Like going five, Five drives where you had a total of, um, what was it, like uh, 17 plays or whatever in five drives. Like, that's not, you know, that's not, uh, that's not going to get it done. Um, you know, averaging like a little over three three uh, plays per drive. Like, that's not going to be, um, that's not going to get anything, get you anywhere. And I think that's what really killed USC. The, the defensive stuff, they gave up, you know, a lot of that stuff they gave up in the fourth quarter when it sort of was like, I mean, they had an opportunity to win. Uh, and the defense really faltered at that point. But you have to put pressure on Utah. You know, the lead is great. But you keep the lead and keep it going and make them keep fighting back and fighting back. It's a whole different game once Utah takes the lead. And that sort of was like, that's when you kind of knew it wasn't going to go well. But it to me, it's just about Caleb Williams is hurt and they go five straight. They don't, you know, make enough adjustments to kind of work with Caleb, his limitations. They That touchdown drive, there was a lot of quick passing and stuff, little screens and things, and that worked well. Uh, but they weren't really doing much of that. He was dropping back, getting sacked, and it just kind of taking you out of everything. So, yeah, that's not that's not what you needed. Yeah, and just adding to the limitations of an injured Caleb, I mentioned it in my little spiel at the top, but the offensive line wasn't particularly whole. You know, you had sure. Andrew Voorhees was out, and the, you, sh you shuffled the line, and, you know, they've – gotten by on in spots with that with that line of you know Mason Murphy kicking out to right Jonah Monheim kicking out kicking inside to right guard but at that point you know Utah was pinning their ears and just having their way at times with USC on the edges particularly the right side and you know even if you know if you could protect Caleb you can give him there you know we've seen times where he had a lot of time throughout the season at times and if you could give him some of that, even if he was one one legged, you could you could move the ball. But to have him on one leg and then put him under pressure, you know, it felt like every other snap he was he was getting harassed, and that is not the combination you need. And you know, they were having to scrape him off the the side the off the field off the turf, and he also had a cut hand on his throwing hand, so it was bleeding all over the place. Just yeah. just a lot of bad things going on. Uh, in terms of protecting him, and he was banged up, and 
they couldn't keep him upright. And then, you know, losing Brett Nealon there in the, in the fourth was also huge. So you lost two of your best offensive linemen uh, throughout that game and didn't have one at the, at the kickoff. And, you know, that was demoralizing, you know, having to get guys in there. We talked all offseason about the depth being an issue. And right at the end, you know, made us look like fortune tellers. But right at the end, the, the depth is what really uh, contributed to the the loss and, you know, not being able to keep him upright, even though he was just on one leg. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like kind of the start of the game, everything was going right for USC, and then everything just about to everything started to go wrong, and it was dominoes at that point. I mean, for, or the score forty-seven to twenty-four looks a lot worse than I think it actually was. Although that forty-four to seven run did feel dominant by the end, the defense had given up. You could look at it as a you know a thirty to twenty-four game or a thirty-three twenty-four game. That's kind of what it was is more feeling. But the defense, the last couple of possessions, gave up really easy scores for Utah. And friend of the show, Colin Coward, has said multiple times that he thinks you can fix one side of the ball uh, with the transfer portal. USC completely fixed their offense this year but it's hard to fix both sides when even 20 they brought in 23 transfers that's a ton that's not enough to fix both sides of a four and eight team so they they, they made it this far and I think that finishing 11 and 2 even though it, it feels sour at the end because they couldn't knock off Utah to win the Pac-12 title uh, I think it was still a very successful season if you guys are ready to get into calls and comments yeah I think so um real quick uh I put the Heisman vote in it's all done uh, I think Caleb's going to win. Uh, he should yeah, win. He's going to win. He should win. So that's great. I mean, you can look at the season and say four and eight to you know at least eleven wins. Pretty freaking amazing. Uh, winning another Heisman Trophy. That's like a big, big deal. Yes, it would have been great to go to a pl first playoff ever, but this is a great you know first season any way you want to cut it. You know, Cotton Bowl get to play Tulane. Talk about turnarounds. Two and ten. 10 and 2, pretty big, pretty big one for uh, the green wave there. So not bad. And then, you know, USC 4 and 8 to uh, 11 and 2 uh, right now, 11 and 1 in the regular season. Uh, so a couple good turnaround teams and uh, get a chance to exercise some demons at AT&T Stadium. Uh, didn't go well against Ohio State or Alabama. I got a chance to play uh, Tulane there, you know, as a, as a favorite. So that'll be, uh, that'll be good. But I think overall, just, you know, we're going to take all your calls, comments, and all that stuff. Be happy with the season. I think, you know, yes, there's a little little bitter at the end, a little little aftertaste, you know, uh, in that one. But, man, just overall, if you look back, if you said a year ago, like, all right, Lincoln Riley's first year, they're going to win 11 games, they're going to go to the Cotton Bowl, New York Six Bowl, and uh, their transfer quarterback's going to win the Heisman. You'd be like, yeah, sign me up. So look at it that way, and I think you'll be okay. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think I did say the first podcast that I came in and did in this building, I said a successful season, I think, for USC is making the Pac-12 title game and making a New Year's Six Bowl. And that would be like a success, like yeah. not just an average season in, in year one under Lincoln Riley. You know, that's what success looks like in year one under Lincoln Riley. It's exactly what happened. But let's go to who callers starting with Mark. Hi, Mark. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi. How are you guys? How are you guys doing this evening? Good. Doing well. You there? Yep. Yeah. Good. So <clears throat> I'm I'm concerned about the lack of halftime adjustments. But I'll tell you what. I want to focus on one play that was critical. We were um, up fourteen to three. And it was a third down, and we threw a slant to Jordan Addison, and the defender was right there to knock it away. Do you remember that play? Yeah, in the end zone, if Clark Jordan Addison, Yeah, if Jordan Addison goes out and just makes one little fake to his left and gets the defender leaning that way and then cuts to the right, he'll have a step on him, and that's a touchdown. Now, to me, that's coaching. That's a simple play on a slant that would have made that play a touchdown. He didn't do any move to his left. He just went to his right. And as a result, he wasn't able to get away from the defender. So it's little things like that. And the lack of tackling, I just, I just can't believe it. I mean, isn't there any tackling drills at all? I mean, they were busting tackles like crazy. There was no pressure on their quarterback whatsoever. I mean, I know we had guys out on the offense, but we had our whole defense there, and they just shredded it. I mean, the drive right before the half was, was a killer. That made the score even. And they did the same thing to us when we played them back there. So, I don't know. There's just certain things about the coaching I question on, you know, little things and the lack of tackling. You know, your thoughts? Well, yeah, thanks for the call there. Um, he was talking about halftime adjustments early on, too. But I would say you have to look at everything. There's definitely been some plays that are sort of head scratchers. But if someone's, you know, if you if you see, like, LeBron James coming down and he's just, like, dunking on everybody or, like, taking – and he's and then he, like, takes a couple bad shots. You're like, yeah, what? Those are bad shots. You're like – but then look at the whole game, you know, like he's doing so much that's good. You got to do your thing. And I think sometimes that's the same way with Lincoln Riley. If you're going to praise him, like, wow, they lined up Jordan Addison in the backfield and he caught this amazing pass. And like, oh, look at some of the plays early on that they scored touchdowns on and the fourth down plays and the little Rayleigh Brown dump off thing. All, all that stuff, like he does a lot of really good things. So is there going to be a play or two that don't go your way and it looks kind of weird or clunky? Yeah. And it, unfortunately, it happened for several drives in a row when Caleb Williams was hurt. And maybe, I think the criticism you would say is that they didn't adjust quickly enough to what you had at your quarterback. But, I mean, yeah, okay, is there going to be a route or two that doesn't go your way? You have to look at so many good things he does. How much, I mean, he's changed it all. Like, to go from, like, this Graham Harrell offense, whatever that was, throw to grass to this is, like, insane. Like, you can't, you can't ignore those amazing plays. It's not just Caleb Williams taking off and running and making things happen. It's like... He's on the run and finding guys open. They're scheming guys open. It's just, it's to me, it's a lot different. I mean, as far as the tackling, it's head scratching at times. I just don't. If you look back at the the stuff or the, the the video and the clips, they're there. You know, they can hit somebody. They can, and I think a lot of it was they were just trying to hit hit the guy, not wrap him up. And I think that yeah, was, the, was the issue. And remember. That the coaches out there are not the ones making the tackles or attempting to make the tackles. It's the players. So, you know, you can hit on that all week long. You know, I can tell Jack, hey, 
you're leaning too much when you were doing instant. You're leaning too much. You're leaning too much. And then if, if he goes out there and leans, like I can't, like <laughs> you know, I can just keep harping on it. If he's not, you know, doing it, it's not like they're not teaching them how to tackle or not instructing them to tackle. You know, we've seen them do that multiple times, but you know, it's just the decision to third nineteen go for the rip and not the tackle. It and then you get blocked out by your own guy in collision. It's just off to the races. So it's it's just like the little things, and you know, football is a uh, a sport of little things like any sport I would say. And, you know, those, those kept piling against, but I, I just couldn't understand how, you know, they had guys, you know, right there, right in front of them. And then they were just bouncing off them. And I, I just don't know how no one could get a wraparound. And again, it's not like they're not, not teaching them how to tackle or they haven't done tackling drills. I just don't know like why it's like, yeah, it, it's like that. I, and they had say. tackled well, like the last, like you said, 17 yeah. missed tackles in three games, 14, 20, 14 in three games. And three against Notre Dame, who's just as physical as you, as Utah is. Yeah, and then 25 in one game. Like, that's just, yeah, that's bad. It's kind of, it's 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 just a weird situation because people want to blame Alex Grinch for the tackling, and then the, the argument is, well, he's not the player out there making the tackle. He can only watch from the sidelines and hope that his teaching was enough. But then there's also the side of he is the, the person in, in, in charge of teaching the players tackling, but we see them running tackling drills pretty much every day that we're in there every single week it looks like they're doing it well they have been doing it well in games and sometimes maybe the moment's a little too big they want to try and strip the ball they want to make a big hit and they don't wrap up and so it's 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 weird you really don't know where to place the blame but either way they didn't tackle when it comes down to the Jordan Addison route I think I remember that play specifically because that was the Clark Phillips one-on-one with Jordan Addison Utah brought six or seven and they had two slants on that side and Addison was on the outside so he didn't have time to go left and I think that was a, a blitz call by Caleb Williams so I don't think there's anything that uh, mal or you know malpractice coaching wise on yeah. that specific play considering if he had gone left he was already on the outside so Caleb he never would have had time to get the back to Caleb who had to get it away quickly and I, I don't Clark think Phillips is really good yeah and I, and Addison torched him a couple times you know the first game and the second game so you know they, he's really good. Like, he's yes. going to make a play I mean, sometimes. Sometimes the other players are good. I don't think that one is on coaching. And I think if, if anything, if you're going to blame coaching, it's hard to blame Lincoln Riley coaching the Bolitnikoff award winner. But I, I, you know, I, I can see how people might be upset with coaching when it comes down to tackling in big moments in big games, especially because they, they have seen that it's possible. They they tackled very well against Notre Dame, and, and and you had some time to prepare for this one. They had to get ready for a Friday game. Maybe there were heightened emotions on the road as well. But you know you have to give credit to Utah for making some plays. Like Utah USC can't win in every single scenario, but the tackling I think is the bigger issue in that in that case. Yeah. All right. Let's go to another caller. We've got Michelle calling about the championship game. Hi, Michelle. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Is this Michelle? It's good. Um, I, yeah, I thought there was two plays that <clears throat> that really made a huge difference. I'm not sure what your guys' vibe was at, at the actual game, but on the third and or fourth and eight, when they went for it, I was fully expecting another pooch punt, and I just thought like we should have pinned them deep. Um, but I thought we went for it, and then not going for the touchdown instead of taking the field goal. Like, what was the vibe on the field when those plays actually happened? Yeah, the fourth and eight one, I kind of had the same feeling. I also thought a yeah. pooch was coming. I think that could have easily been a pooch. 
I was right next to Mark Sanchez, Matt Leinart, and Reggie Bush, and all four of us were talking, and they were like, what do you, what do you think they're going to do? And Matt Leinart stepped onto the field and, like, doing a little pooch punt kick. Uh, I don't know what you would call it, but he, it seemed like they were all expecting a pooch punt. I was expecting a pooch punt. I guess they just didn't do it, though. Yeah, so they didn't do one. I mean, I don't have an issue. Like, and the same thing with the field goal. Like, you've already, you were two for two on fourth downs, and you got two touchdowns. I mean, I guess you could say, well, you know, is it your luck going to run out? But I, I didn't have an issue. It was, I think it was fourth and three. And, uh, you know, Caleb Williams was hurt. And they're like, okay, we'll take the points, go up by two two touchdowns, and kind of go from there. And, I mean, it, I don't think that the, the decision worked out fine. You got the ball back with a chance to go up 21, you know, and, and the offense didn't do that. I had more of an issue with that one than not, you know, going for it uh, on that fourth down. But I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, I, I was fully expecting pooch punt and – I was a little bit surprised when they went for it, but also, you know, they had converted twice before. It was clear that Lincoln Riley was, you know, going big cojones on this one. So I, I wasn't shocked that he actually did go for it. Uh, just didn't, you know, connect, obviously. And with the other one... That, I just, was, that was on the fumble, right? So you end up basically giving Utah the ball back. Right yeah, with the momentum, yeah. right where they got it. So I thought it was going to be a pooch, like I said. And then with the with taking the field goal... At that point, it's like a little bit more conservative. Like, let's just get the points. You know, if they we stop them down here, that gives them a lot more momentum. I'd rather take the points and, you know, keep our momentum going as opposed to giving them back momentum. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with taking the points in that scenario. I definitely thought that they should have punted on that fourth and eight, um, considering that we knew Caleb Williams was hurt. I feel like that's a point where earlier in the season, at any other point when Caleb Williams was healthy, you don't really have a problem with them going for it, considering their confidence has paid off. But if you know that your quarterback is hurt, and maybe that's potentially when you knew he wasn't even 50%, I think you take the chance you play the, the field position battle, which I don't think was talked about quite enough coming out of the game as one of the reasons USC couldn't move the ball in the second half is because not only was the offensive line banged up, not only was Caleb Williams banged up, but also they were routinely uh, near their own end zone, which makes it harder to call more creative play calls like reverses or the screen game. And I think that if you were up, I think at that point, uh, by a couple scores, if you would pin them deep, I think that's probably a better decision than going for it where they did, which I believe was the 37-yard line. Uh, so either you want to try a long Dennis Lynch field goal or, or punt, I think either of those would have been better decisions than going for it knowing that Caleb Williams was hurt. Yeah. All right. We have a couple more callers in the queue. We'll go to John. What's up, John? Hello? Hi, Hello? John. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Can you guys hear me? Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, what's the latest on Caleb's injury? I mean, did he just, like, pull a hamstring, or did he, like, did he, like pull it? And uh, will he be able to make a full recovery by next season? That's my question one. And the uh, second question is, in my mind, like with me, like there is no excuse for having Alex Green around anymore. I mean, like none, zero. I mean, if, if you want to go win a championship, you know, you have to have an elite DC. I mean, there's a reason why they say defense wins you championships. I just don't understand why Lincoln Riley, like don't understand this. So it's, it's the plan to get a bunch of defensive players from the transfer portal. I mean, it's, I mean, that whole thing, I mean, I can't believe it. Uh, lastly, finally, uh, <laughs> my question is uh, strength and conditioning. Like, why is, why is SC guys fall, like falling like flies? I mean, I don't see this made like on, like, you know, like other teams, like other elite teams like Alabama 
or anything like that. So All right, thanks, John. We appreciate that's it. My- yeah, that, that's good. Three points is good. Um, Everyone I, gets injuries. Can I take the first one? Yeah, go ahead. But college football, there's injuries all over the place. Like, yes, Alabama has injuries. Like, all these guys are out all the time. Everyone's so. banged up at this point. Remember, this was a gauntlet run for USC. You take on UCLA, Notre Dame, and then Utah in the championship game. On a short week, everyone is less than 100% at this point. Everyone's got bruises or bone bruises or chips or, you know, everyone's hurting all over. And it's football. It's a, it's a physical yeah. game. It's a painful game. You know, people run around at breakneck speeds and break bones for fun. You know, that's what football <laughs> is. So, you know, strength and conditioning can only do so much in a, a violent sport like this. And injuries happen, like like he said. And in terms of the Caleb one, I've heard people d- debating about this all over social media with, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley's phrasing of he popped the hamstring. I don't I, – my interpretation, he's not saying that he popped it as in he tore it. I mean, technically, a hamstring strain is a small tear, but it's not a, it's not like a straight tendon rip. That's not what he's saying. I think he's just talking like a football coach would say, like, yeah. coach, he popped it, which he's like, it's a bad strain. And it's not as severe as a tear, like a straight full-on tear. It's just a bad strain. And Lincoln Riley said uh, on the media call for the uh, Cotton Bowl this morning that, you know, they're lucky they're not playing – do you say two or three weeks or something like that? They so, have some yeah. time to rest him up. You know, it's, it's a bad one. I believe that's what he said. He said it's a severe it's a severe, injury. severe injury. So, you know, hammies, you don't want to rush those. Those are those can be nagging. Those can be a pain in your butt and you feel good. And then you come back and you're out six more weeks. So that's one they're going to have to monitor and be careful with. You know, I know a lot of people are like, don't play him. It's not worth it. If, you know, it's at a point where he feels good about it, it sounds like, he is going to play. You know, I believe he told the LA Times uh, earlier today that he intends on playing. Uh, he was at doing one of his uh, uh, Caleb Cares uh, events, and that's what the quote they gave him. So I feel like he had, they have every intention of getting him healthy enough to play, but hamstring, especially a quote-unquote severe one, is no joke. And you have to take that rehab seriously. You have to do, uh, you have to be cautious with that because it can be something that can reoccur and, uh, you know, hit over and over and get worse and worse if you're not, if you go back, if you rush back too quickly. So uh, it's bad, but it sounds like they're going to try to do their best to get him good to go for January 2nd. Yeah. We kind of talked about the Grinch stuff, but, you know, he, had, he was really good at Washington State. That's why Ohio State hired him. And then Oklahoma hired him. And Lincoln Riley brings him to USC. So, I, I mean, it's not like he's not had success, but you can argue what, the, you know, what they're doing now. It's, my guess is Lincoln Riley's going to try to adjust it through the portal. And then, you know, but who knows? He Maybe he makes a change. But my, my guess is it's going to be more trying to get At what point players. is loyalty too much? You know, because he's been oh, with yeah. him for a while. And you you stick with somebody. Let's say you, you hired me and I was okay the first couple of years. And I was okay. And then what if next four years I just start not doing my work or, or skipping or the on the last four years? Couple, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> skipping on tunnel. Uh <laughs> Shooting crappy video. At what point do you do you you bail on me? No, I mean right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I I think but you, you know can't what I'm be loyal to a fault sometimes. You know, and there there are tough calls that you have to make. I'm just saying from what his comments were, my guess would be he didn't seem pissed off mm-hmm. at the way the game was called. He was like the guys were there, they didn't make a play. So if I'm putting myself in Lincoln Riley's shoes, I would say that if I felt like damn, we need better players. And, and I think that. 
they didn't have a, a real recruiting cycle. So this is, as we mentioned, the, the, the 4 and 18 that USC fans love to complain about is the majority roster that Alex Grinch was working with this season. Uh, and they, they also added some transfer pieces, but they didn't have, you know, a, a full real recruiting cycle to bring in a, a bunch of defensive guys that were their own. They inherited, obviously, some great recruits. They flipped Damani Jackson, uh, who was leaning between Bama and and, U, and USC, but he was still a true freshman. And there's some guys there that they feel have potential, like Corey Foreman, like Damani Jackson, like Eric Gentry. And I think that you need one more year to make a decision. But I do understand fans that um, did get frustrated at, down the stretch of the season because the offense was playing so well and because the expectations arose. But the defense improved there are you know key players that are that are going to stand out for next year and I think that you give Alex Grinch just one more year at least to have his own recruiting cycle work with Lincoln Riley and not have to make a you know a full turnaround as quickly now they've got some sustained success for one year and they'll have an opportunity to grow even further but I do understand you know it's hard to watch a defense like that think about recruiting and think about you know how well the offense played and be fine with how it went but Remember, you got a crazy good middle linebacker coming in. Eric Gentry missed so much time with an ankle injury. Still wasn't 100%. Shane Lee had one hand. Raylan Goforth lost his hand. I mean, had a hand injury. Didn't uh, do any Clay Hilton stuff. He's got a hand. Uh, you lost Romello Hyde, your starting edge rusher, at the start of the season. Uh, essentially had one, one good arm. He had to shut it down for the year. Uh, Zion Branch, your top 50 safety telling me he could maybe have been the, the starting nickel probably the most athletic safety not named Caleb Bullock Kalen Bullock if he's in that starting rotation and a guy we thought could be a starter by the end of the year who's crazy athletic crazy physical crazy big and you know he goes down to a knee injury in in uh, summer so that's a guy you didn't have and a guy you probably would see starting in this game assuming he was healthy all year so yeah you you had some injury stuff hit a lot of your top guys for well, sure. and, and I'm not sure it's all Alex Grinch, but they turned Tui Tui Plo two into a Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Makai Blackman was the highest-graded corner in the Pac-12, and so that, I, I think, speaks to Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley's talent goggles, at least, when they went into the portal, finding someone that they wanted to bring onto the staff, and now you give them an offseason where they can do that in the portal as well as the recruiting class. We're going to go to more callers. One question. Maybe we'll put a one-question limit because so many people want to ask yeah. questions, so we'll start uh, the second round with Dave. Hi, Dave. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. First off, hey, Ryan, you said it about Cristobal. I'm not impressed about Lincoln Riley. He can't win the big games. He doesn't care about the line of scrimmage. So that is just – that's a disaster waiting to happen. You need to care about the line of scrimmage. We didn't get any push offensively or defensively. That says it all to me. And then I just got a question. Caleb Williams, he's been getting a bunch of heat lately. Do you think you should apologize for the, finger, for the fingernails last night? Uh, thanks, Dave. Uh, there's a lot of chat, fingernail stuff. I really don't care about any of that stuff. No like, one cared when he did it against Notre Dame because they won. Yeah, you care about this one because they lost. So, And if you think Lincoln Riley's a bad coach, holy shit, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, he is amazeballs compared to what you had before. Like, he changed everything about this program. Took every, every stone. Oh, he did whatever you could do. And fixed a lot of it. Got rid of the right people. Brought in the right people. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you if you think he's bad. I, I don't know if it's fair to say he doesn't care about the line of scrimmage because they recruited the portal hard for offensive linemen. They were only able to get one, which is Bobby Haskins. And, you know, USC is recruiting on faith a lot. And he is Lincoln Riley. But 
they didn't really know what this team was going to look like this year. And, you know, it, look, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be much easier to sell this program or this or coming to play behind a block for a Heisman winner and an 11-2 season, possibly a 12-2 season. And uh, Coach Henson, who did wonders with this guys for the most of the year. And, yeah, they didn't have the depth. We talked about this. We didn't have the depth. So they tried to get the depth in the portal, only got a couple of guys. I know for a fact they wish they had gotten at least a couple more guys, yeah. but it didn't work out that way. You know, offensive linemen go in the portal, they get scooped up quick, especially top ones, and they weren't able to get a top, top one. You know, they almost got the five-star Josh Connerly. You, you remember that? And, you know, they lost out last second on the NIL deal. So they were trying to fortify those, those trenches, and they didn't get it quite enough, only a little bit, and we kind of saw the results there at the end. All right. right, and the good defensive linemen don't enter the portal, and the best offensive linemen in the country don't just enter the portal. And against Utah, you're without Les Lincoln Riley. Put it one of the best offensive linemen in the nation, Andrew Voorhees, who will maybe be a first round draft pick. So it's hard to compete physically when your best offensive lineman's out, when your second best offensive lineman goes out, the second highest graded center in the nation in the fourth quarter. And I think I think Chris, what you pointed out, recruiting on faith, which is what they had to do in the transfer portal last off season, just faith in Lincoln Riley and the program. They still got 23 guys who wanted to play for Lincoln Riley because he's that caliber of coach. And now they've got a chance to recruit more. And I think it's unfair to say that Lincoln Riley doesn't care about the trenches. They, they clearly do, and I, I don't understand really the, the conversation around USC's offensive line for the season because they were a far above average offensive line for the entire regular season, and sometimes they've had games where they've struggled. But you're going to have three or four all Pac-12 first-team offensive linemen off just the USC offensive line. Yeah. We're getting better callers. All right. Do well, better. Here we go. We'll go to Allen in St. Louis. They can vent as well. They please. Yeah. Hi, Alan. You're on Tunnel better. Vision. One question. Hi, guys. Yeah, it's it's just more of a state. I just wanted to um, support some of the Alex Grinch defending that's been going on the podcast so far. I think um, what most people don't remember is last year we were ranked 107th in defen defensive efficiency on ESPN, and this year we're up to 67th. And if you look back at Grinch's performance at Wazoo and at Oklahoma, it's almost identical he took over dumpster fire at Wazoo that was 90th, brought him up into the 38th place, and OU was almost the same thing. And at both programs, eventually he got a top-tier defense. So just, again, not a question. just want to say I agree with Ryan's sentiment. Everyone should have some perspective here and appreciate, you know, where things sh shake out at the end of the season. Just kind of cooler heads should prevail. Fight on. No, thanks for the call. That's a great call. Um, That's what I'm, we're looking for. Yeah, and I'm – Look, I'm not saying Alex – I like Alex Grinch. I don't want to say he's, like, the best off defensive coordinator or anything like that. But I feel like some people just going to, like, the defense sucks, fire that guy. And it's like, you know, maybe. Um, I would look at some of the numbers, but, I mean, you can't just assume that, you know. like, And I think what the caller is talking about is, like, they did take over. It was the worst de defense in USC history last year, like, statistically. It was really, really bad. And you got those guys back. There are some good dudes on the team, and – you added some players, but just nowhere near the caliber of players you add on the offensive side. And, you know, they have some some really good games. I mean, they had three pick sixes in a game. Like, there's some stuff that was good. But there was, a, a, you know, in some of the bigger games, it was bad. And uh, that's definitely not what you want. So, yeah, I, I just would say, you know, just you can't just say, Grinch sucks, fire him, and that's going to fix everything. And maybe that is. I want to look at some of the numbers because some of the more, 
you know, if you look at points per game, like that stuff isn't really good. You want like points per drive and some of those. I think USC was pretty bad in some of those numbers and like the the per drive kind of things, like yards per yards per play and points per drive and things like that. Um, so I think some of those advanced metrics aren't very going to be very favorable for Alex Grinch. But look at what was taken over. I, if you expect it to be like, oh, you hire Lincoln Riley, this should be a championship team everywhere. I, I mean, I think that's really hard to do, and especially their, their defense was a lot further down than the offense was. You saying he got? You're saying he got the worst chop basket of all time? It was a pretty bad chop basket. It was. And yeah. then, he had to go to some, that pantry hard. And there were some good ingredients. Yeah, like he he had a he has two All Americans in in Tui Tui Pelotu and Kalen Bullock. But yeah, you're right. I think your uh, chopped analogy is pretty perfect with the pantry, Chris. Right. And that you know part of the meal was good, part of the meal wasn't that good. <laughs> but the the basket kind of sucked too. So it's like, eh, you know, give him a break. See what so, so that was the uh, that was the appetizer round. I think <laughs> year two, it's going to be the entree round, right? Well, and it's not like they got chopped in year one going four and eight again. They went 11 and two and they they snuck by to the next round. And I think, you know, Alex Grinch didn't have a perfect year. The defense wasn't amazing. But I, I think you can't just immediately look look at the defensive coordinator and say, okay, well, you need to fire him. Sometimes the grass isn't greener on the other side. And I think USC fans have to realize it's going to take time, especially with the state of the program when, when Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch took over. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of perspective. But let's go to John, a couple more callers, and then we'll go to questions. Wow, we've got a lot of callers tonight. Hi, John, it. you're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. It's my first time calling in a long time. Uh, I know uh, Ryan's been waiting for me to call uh and say my piece but the only thing i have to say is man there's so much negativity after 11 and 2 season don't you guys remember who was there last year at the end of the year against byu we can only hear byu chants are you joking me right now fire coaches come on guys that's all i have to say i'm looking forward to next year let's see what lincoln riley's gonna do in year two baby the pete and the magic is back at coliseum be there, or you're really not a fan. Thanks, guys. Nice call, John. Appreciate yeah, I mean, just a little perspective. Don't say you can't complain about anything, but, you know, I, you just got to look back and go, that's pretty damn good. You know, like 11-2, so close to like, I mean, going to the playoff in year one would have been like, you know, even if you could like stop by Georgia, it's just be like, wow, like it was right there, you know. But a Heisman Trophy, like, those don't come around all the time. Like, you're going to get a Heisman Trophy. Lincoln Riley's going to coach Three Heisman winners before he's 40 years old. Like, that's pretty good. How much complaints would we get if they had gotten to the playoff and gotten stomped by Georgia? I can't believe it. It's like, okay, whatever. (laughs) The the weird thing is, was the way it played out, like USC would have been the three seed and played Michigan instead of Georgia. Or whoever. And I I think it's hard because if you're coming into the season and you're saying, okay, it's 11-2, and then what do you think? Everyone's going to be happy. But everything laid itself out perfectly for USC to make the playoff, be the three seed, win the Pac-12. And it's just one game they didn't get it done. And because of the expectations that built and built and built and built past the uh, up to the Utah win, it kind of took a step back after the Utah loss. Uh, and then built back up and up and up and up. And just because they lost, I think it's uh, everything's coming back around. But I think you're right. Just have some perspective. Fans are probably a little bit emotional right now. But I think, again, take a step back and think about what you would have thought of an 11-2 and record before the season. And don't change your opinion now just because expectations arose throughout the year. We've got one more caller in the queue, and then we'll go to comments. We're on a hot streak right now. So, Andrew, yeah. keep it up. Hi, Andrew. You're on Tunnel Vision. 
Hi, I just wanted to mention that, yes, I don't think that um, Alex Grinch should be fired. Like, that's crazy. Um, he had a deal with what he had available to him. He obviously used the talent that he had available to him. And, I mean, come on. They were, like, at one point the leader in interceptions and just takeaways. Um, besides that, I had to mention, I have to mention that I'm a little bit upset that they didn't put Miller Moss in. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I feel like that could have been a difference in the game. But, I mean, who knows at this point? Thank you. No, thanks for the question. That's something we haven't addressed. And I, you know, obviously he gets paid the big bucks to make those calls, and we don't know what's going on. And, you know, if your Heisman winning quarterback says, Coach, I'm in, I'm good, I'm in, how do you say, sit down, son, let me get, give me your helmet, you know? And I, I get it. Um, I would have loved to see, you know, if you know that he's just going to be on a bum, bum wheel. I'd love to see Miller Moss, you know, out there kind of, you know, throwing around and it could have been a disaster. It could have been great or could have been somewhere in the middle. It could have been similar to what happened. I, we, you know, we'll never know. We don't know what was going on. Um, but there was still something there and, you know, maybe it was adjust the offense earlier. So Caleb Williams can do those little dump offs, but you know, they had one good drive and then, you know, he gets sacked again and the fumble, you know, his first, the first lost fumble of the whole season, you know, on that drive. Uh, from Caleb Williams. So, yeah, I think on a, for anybody, you know, USC, no one else fumbled the whole year. Um, it, it's just those, one of those things where I get it. I'm not going to say that was the worst decision ever, not putting him in. or but like That's his call, and uh, he's going to know what's going on with those quarterbacks better than any of us. Um, but certainly something that crossed my mind, he mentioned it in the press conference that that was something that they were you know seriously considering. But it sounded like his warrior quarterback was like, let me fight. And uh, Lincoln Riley let him fight. And I, I, I was thinking about this because I see it both ways, as in, you know, sitting Caleb, who's only got one leg, or and putting in the, the healthy backup. But, you know, so much of sports is that toughness, that willingness to go back out there, even though, you know, you're banged up. It's, you know, Tony Romo playing with the – with a with a broken rib or you know the flu game or you know come back out uh who, who's the paul pierce you know the the was on the yeah he was like get carted off carted off or it, you <laughs> know it's it's, it's, play it's, it's those moments in sports that happen a lot and they make sports great so you know what is it if you're lincoln riley and your highs winning guy the guy that you came in to be the guy and you know you got you know everything you put on this guy. He's always you know found a way to to win, and he has that belief in himself, and the team has that belief in him. And he looks you in the eye and says, "You're not taking me out. I'm going to win this game." How do you say no to that? I understand it's like he's the adult in the room, but it's also like it's an emotional game, and those are high emotions. And if he if he says that to you, you know what what has he done that? doesn't prove that he can't do that you know yeah he has that belief in himself you know he is called superman for a reason and remember he got them within three points yeah. on one freaking leg and he drove <laughs> down the things and the defense blew it all up and didn't even give him a chance to go back out there and put it all so i mean i see it both ways and 
Miller is has some mobility, but not as much as Caleb, and definitely more so probably than a one-legged Caleb. But that all that offensive line was getting mauled all day and all night in that game, especially in the second half. So is a one-legged Caleb better than a uh, Miller Moss behind that line? I don't know. We'll never know. But I will just say Caleb got him to three points, and you know that defense should have stepped up in that moment, but. You know, obviously they did not. And that's what I go back to is that he put the team on his back and got them into a place where they could they could win that game. But, you know, things fell apart. And USC's historically, historically been awful or very reluctant or very stubborn when it comes to putting the backup in. The only time I can really remember like really happening, like for real, for real, is like the guy you don't want to mention, Clay Helton, like when he put Sam Darnold in over Max Brown. Uh, with, you know, replacement of, you know, for someone that's been there, loyalty, like all that stuff kind of went out the window. I mean, you remember like the, you we're watching like Jim Harbaugh make the college football playoff, like the Stanford game in 2009 or whatever it was, you know, John David, I think it was that year, John David Booty like breaks his finger and they don't, they have an NFL quarterback on the bench behind him. Like, and we know, he's, you know, he made the NFL, like he, he has more like he has a bunch of road playoff wins in the NFL with the Jets. Mark Sanchez is on the bench and you don't put him in. You keep your starter in who has a broken finger and you end up losing the game as a 41-point favor or whatever to Stanford. Um, I, hopefully I didn't mix up some of those games, but I believe it was the same <laughs> one. But yeah, like, we, US, and that's Pete Carroll, right? I mean, USC has been reluctant to do stuff like that a lot. Uh, and so, you know, you know, Mark Sanchez wasn't proven, but he was a five-star quarterback. You knew, like, it wasn't like there was some bum on the, on the bench, you know, and Miller Moss is no bum. But sometimes you're in there, and this is your guy, and they're going to have a very different perspective than all of us from the outside. So certainly not going to um, call it the wrong decision. It might have been, you know, but I'm not my call on that one. I, I get it. Coaches kind of do this stuff a lot. So. Yeah, I, we can't say it's the wrong decision, the right decision. All we can say is it was his decision, yeah. and that that's what they have to live with. And I think that what, what you you – even if Caleb Williams doesn't have his legs, you know I think he has a better arm than Miller Moss, and I think you know that he's more likely to make the correct decision than Miller Moss. And it is just a, it's a very tough situation to throw Miller Moss in because even you mentioned Sam Darnold. What did USC have to lose when Sam Darnold went in? But USC had everything to lose if you put Miller Moss in. It would be his first real competition of the year in a new stadium, in a neutral field, in a dome, very loud, in the Pac-12 title game with an injured offensive line. I just think at that point you stick with the guy that you know and the guy that you have trust and you hope that you can get it done, even if it seems difficult. Uh, and then also, I mean, I was on the sideline. I noted on Twitter that Miller Moss was warming up. They ended up going with Caleb Williams for that next drive. And after that drive stalled as well, they had Caleb Williams and Miller Moss warming up double barrel. Caleb Williams was taking it as seriously as I've ever seen him. And Miller Moss was kind of just lobbing balls laughing with Kyle Ford. And I just think that, you know, Caleb had the mentality and we d- we're never going to know from the outside um, what's going on with, with Miller Moss. But it's just something that I think you just know that Caleb Williams, he's the competitor uh, and he's just, you know, what you know. And I think that's sometimes just safer to stick with. Yeah. A little bit of breaking news. Julian Simon in the portal. And uh, Michael Penix returning to Washington for another year. Yeah. First, uh, first USC player in the portal. First USC player in the portal. That we've, yeah. Cannot, he's not officially in the portal. It's just him declaring that I will be that he will be entering the portal. Uh, edge rusher, four-star prospect out of Tacoma, Washington. Uh, recruited to play middle linebacker, was moved to edge rusher this year. 
not tall enough, I don't think, to play edge rusher. So not surprised by this one. But yeah, that's the first official one. Uh, and will be official tomorrow or yeah. in a couple hours, I guess. That transitions into questions because people were putting in the comments that Julian was in the portal. And then question from John on YouTube saying, what's the latest transfer portal news? So we'll start. Julian Simon is in the portal. There's a couple other players around college football. Uh, it's, uh, LA's own or so Southern California's own DJ Uyunglele transferring out of Clemson. I don't know, Chris, if you have any uh, idea of how many players you expect USC to bring in or uh, – lose to the portal but that, i know that was a question that was raised in the chat so just overall what are your thoughts on potential uh rumors in the transfer portal we talked about this on two star but i i feel like we project at least double digit leaving i mean there's several guys in the secondary i think and some of those lower reserve offensive linemen definitely that could be seeking greener pastures as you can see you know the linebacker room the edge room Julian Simon, uh, not surprised by that one. So I would say well over double digits for USC in terms of leaving. And then bringing in, I mean, they'll have spots. They're going to save some spots for guys. And we'll see exactly who is in the portal tomorrow. And, you know, we expect a lot of good names to be in there, especially, you know, Texas A&M, that recruiting class and all over the country, guys are going to be entering. So yeah, I would say the majority will be uh, defensive players and offensive linemen. Try to get some of those guys uh, to beef up uh, the trenches next year, especially with all the guys you're losing. But I was right on the verge of saying like around nine guys for Portal to come in, uh, but we'll see with uh, how many de how many departures they have. But uh, I think there might be a couple more than that. Gary sure. Bryant Jr. is someone that's going to go in there too. Sure, you know, the guy that was going to redshirt. Um, it's yeah, it's it's going to be, and the West Coast is going to be fun now that you know you got prime time. Dion, uh, Colorado, like Jack was sharing me with his first speech to his players, basically saying like, "You guys can all leave because I'm going to be able to." Re that's just more spots that I can replace you with. So they're going to bring in some dudes. Um, you know, we've seen guys leave Stanford. We've seen guys leave Colorado. Uh, just some of these teams are going to get raided, you know, and, and other teams are going to add people. I think Arizona's did a nice job of that. Um, so every team is going to lose guys and every team is going to find guys. And sometimes it's, uh, this guy sucks. He's Bo Nix and he's never going to play here again. And then he goes to Oregon and just crushes it, you know. And um, you're going to see stuff like that. We just need a different, you know, it's going to work out. I did a piece all year called orbiting that you know the usc x's and orbiting is like a internet term of basically like you know you know following your ex on social media and stuff and following what they're doing and there wasn't really like no one really did great you know like like brew mccoy was good and and uh chase mcgrath like he had a game winner against alabama you know clay helton went he's going to a bowl game for georgia southern you know like Todd Orlando didn't do that good. You know, Graham Harrell didn't do that good. JT Daniels got benched. Trick Slovis was pretty bad. Trick got suspended. Trick got suspended. Uh, Jackson Dart was like a game manager. Like, you know, if you look at the X's, you wouldn't go like, wow, that, that was a pretty awesome group. You know, like it was interesting to kind of follow them all along, you know, like Hunter Eccles did some stuff. It was just, you know, it was just one of those things. Um, it, just was, it was just kind of like, you're going to lose dudes. And uh, if you look at the guys that USC lost last year, you wouldn't go, 
Because people would have said Michael Trigg would have been great or whatever, but no one's going to – you wouldn't say like any of those dudes, man, uh, like Jay Toya maybe could have helped out some, but he didn't like kill it or anything. No one like no one that left USC like killed it. So I wouldn't worry too much if a bunch of dudes – like is Julian Simon, was he going to like start killing at USC? They had a lot of potential. I don't know, but it just never really materialized. So it's going to be one of those things where I think for Lincoln – for a team like USC and Lincoln Riley, the guys you're going to lose is sort of like – it's the, you know, you're, you're cutting the, what the, the, what are the curds off the top or whatever. You're trying to get to, you know, the good stuff below. I think that's where they're still going to try to do. They did a lot of that when he first got here. Probably cutting a little bit more of the fat, trimming some more of that right now. And then adding whatever you can and trying to get the, you know, make this team better. So, uh, might lose some guys that are like pretty important. My guess is probably not. Well, and, and I think you look to last year, and they didn't. As you're mentioning, like Lincoln Riley, as you mentioned, kind of telling people that maybe their time at USC was up with the new regime coming in, and every single one of them, I don't think they made a, a poor decision. Maybe they'd like to still have Brew McCoy, but that was another situation in itself where I think you trust the the talent evaluator, Lincoln Riley, and, and the assistant coaches right now for the guys that they let go who didn't do a whole lot and the guys that they brought in who blossomed into you know good players on the team like a Makai Blackman. Obviously, they picked two great running backs in Travis Dye, Austin Jones. The receivers were easy decisions to bring in, but they found guys that made impacts and the guys that they let go really haven't made a huge impact. We'll go to a couple more questions. You mentioned no. you mentioned Deion Sanders. Jason asked, will Deion Sanders take away some of USC's recruits and transfer portal players? I potentially, yeah. I mean he's uh I mean he took his you know alma mater Florida State, the number one player in the country, away from the Seminoles and brought him, you know, to Jackson State. So he's a he's a baller as far as recruiting goes. So yeah, like there could be some battles there where you normally wouldn't think there'd be a battle with Colorado. Yeah, I mean, Dion brings juice. Dion brings energy. So we'll see what that looks like. That is, if Colorado, I guess, ever finds the money to pay him. Oh yeah, but I mean, I think it's not. I think it's say there's a guy that USC wanted and he ends up going to Colorado. Like, I think it's better just to have him in the, you know, in the area. You know, like. His is going to be more of a gravitational pull of players coming west as opposed to going somewhere else. So I don't think it'd be an overall negative for USC. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe he steals like a bunch of five stars away. Like, that'd be pretty crazy, but he could. Uh, I, I think it'd be more of like there'll be a battle or two and Colorado will get one of them or whatever. And then, but in general, I think it's going to be a boost for kind of the West Coast to bring guys out here. I, that would be my initial guess. I mean, he's just been hired for a couple of days, but that would be my guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, SC Neal asks, who is definitely out for the bowl game? As of today, when Lincoln Riley spoke, it seems like they're only expecting one player to be missing, which maybe we can talk about this, which is center Brett Nealon. The six-year center went down in the fourth quarter, and he's the only player that Lincoln Riley has already officially ruled out. So the writing's on the wall that Brett Nealon's uh, USC career is unfortunately over a game too early. I think he put it on Instagram or something. Didn't yeah, he? yeah, it was on Instagram. I I think the two biggest ones to potentially sit out would be Jordan Addison and Andrew Voorhees. You know, Jordan Addison is projected to be a first round pick. Uh, Andrew Voorhees, you know, what does he have to to gain in this game? I mean, he just saw his teammate Brett Nealon go down with a serious injury, and you know, Brett was on track to be drafted. So, does Andrew Voorhees need to play in this game. You know, I, you know, he's a Trojan at heart, so I would not be shocked if he did play. But I also would understand if he didn't play. I feel like Tuli Tupelotu is on 
is a good chance to play. Makai Blackman tweeted something that alluded to him playing. I know he was one of the guys who's done really well to raise his stock. So I think he could have sat, but it seems like he's going to play. So I think uh, I think they have a good chance of having some of those guys that are on the fringe uh, of possibly sitting out actually playing in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Just the way that this team chemistry has been. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be kind of surprised if someone does really just sit out and there's not like an injury involved just for... But we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I, I kind of think most of these guys are going to play. Yeah, and injury-wise, I mean... Lincoln hinted that maybe Caleb Williams wouldn't be available. Caleb also put out a conflicting statement to the to the LA Times about wanting to play and feeling like he can play. But Brett Nealon right now, the only player who's officially out. And I think that maybe we just take uh, go around and, and talk about Brett a little bit because he was so important to USC in his six years here. Of course, you know, we're covering the team. We're trying to stay impartial, but he's one of the, you know, the the best guys on the team. Uh, he's one of the great leaders. And I think it was, you just saw like Travis die when he went down, the whole team really rallied around him. Yeah. I will just say that I put this in my ghost notes from the game day on Saturday, but I've always felt tied to Brett because Brett was the first recruiting class that I ever covered for 24 seven sports. Nice. Uh, when I was with uh, fight on two, four, seven, and I didn't know what I was doing. Still don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, covering recruiting for the first time, Brett was like the first recruit that I ever like connected with. One of the first ones I reached out to. I believe he was already committed to USC. You know, got to know him. Gave him my first little scoop. So, you know, shout out to Brett Nealon. You know, just a, a great uh, football player. Even better person off the field. You know, very interesting person off the field. You know, he has his own, you know, during the pandemic, I learned he was a, a, a car dealer, car yeah. hustler and sports card. So, you know, has an entrepreneurial mind. So very tough to see him, you know, kind of go out like that as someone who gave his all to this program for numerous years and then to come back and, you know, give it one last go and, you know, for him to end up injured like that in the, the Pac-12 championship is point blank terrible. So, you know, definitely feel for him and his family, you know, him going out like that. But, you know, all around a great Trojan, and I hope he is remembered as such uh, by the fan base uh, in years to come moving forward. Yeah, I see Neil said the Neil and Nudge, right? Yep. Neil and Nudge, yeah. He got his own little uh, Neil and Nudge. That was a, he's got a play named after him, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah. he's going to make the All-American wall, most likely. He was named a second-team All-American by PFF. Um, by all accounts and purposes, I would assume he ends up on a lot of second-team uh all-American lists, considering he was the second highest graded uh, center among a lot of different platforms this year. He played really well. And if you haven't read RJ Beatty's article about uh, him coming back and Andrew Voorhees coming back for USC uh, or and Justin Dietrich, uh, go make sure and read that on uh, the Paris style. But there were, uh, you know, a lot of players coming back that were important for USC. There's a lot of veterans on this team. And I think you can point to Brett Nealon as being one of, if not the most important uh, to this team. We have a couple other questions before we get out of here shows running a little long yeah andrew asks is the cotton bowl considered a major bowl yes it's one of the new year six yes. so it's a, a very important bowl usc has played in it twice the last one they would like to forget being in 2017 against ohio state but it is definitely considered a major bowl and then ken asks how well do you think they will do against tulane tulane is an interesting matchup you know they've had a great season aac uh champions they were in a similar boat to last uh, USC last year. They were trash. You know, they yeah. were two and ten. Actually, almost beat Oklahoma uh, in that season opener last year. But you know, Tulane. I haven't really done a full scouting report on them. I, I'm doing that soon. But 
you know, they have a really good running back. They have a really good run, run rushing attack. And, you know, I know cold sweat just went down the back of many USC fans. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be an interesting matchup. You know, athletically, USC is better than them straight up. You know, they have more talent. They have better athletes than them. But, hey, don't don't sleep on group of five teams. They, they take down power fives all the time, and especially USC's defense, which is reeling right now. You know, a little bit, uh, not a little bit, very banged up on the offensive line. We'll see what that looks like in, you know, uh, several weeks. Uh, they have some time to get rested up. But USC should have, it, not should have, it will have the talent advantage. But, you know, Green Wave playing really well, very confident bunch, champions yeah. of their conference. So they will they will put up a fight, and they have some weapons to put up some yards and points on this defense. So it should be an interesting matchup. Yeah, and we'll definitely do a preview show and stuff as, as that gets closer. We don't know what the schedule is for practices, practices, and all that stuff. So we'll get you, we'll let you guys kind of know what all that is when we get there. Yeah, and of course, everything will be flipped on its head depending on which USC players play. I think they opened up just about the same amount of favors as they were against Utah this past week. But if you have an Andrew Voorhees step out or Jordan Addison or potentially Caleb Williams not being able to play, I think that that would definitely shift the dynamic of the game. But it's in a month. We've got uh, some time off from actual game time, but definitely not time off in general considering the transfer portal opening tomorrow recruiting news is going to keep taking a step up so make sure that you guys are subscribed to the website even if you missed out on the sale please go sign up at uscfootball.com 50 percent off right now actually we got a sale going another sale going on so yeah so yeah this is this is the kind of time and you want to buy one for yourself one for your mom one for your dad for yes. christmas you still have time uh, if you can't think of anything else to get them as a gift and they're a usc football fan nothing better to get them than a subscription to uscfootball.com but that's all the comments that we've got we hope this was a, a good therapy session for you guys. Uh, Ryan, Chris, how are you guys feeling about how the season went in general? Are you guys feeling uh, well-rested now that you had Saturday off after the Friday game? Just overall, before we wrap this one up. I'm not well-rested. I'm working on a big story. I have to go get out of here. I, I got transfer portal stuff to get ready, so I'm yeah. not, not well-rested. I am the opposite of well-rested. I got a lot of crap to do uh, this week. so A lot of stuff, but that's okay. I think, you know... Heading into the holidays, hopefully things kind of slow down. But you got early signing period and everything too, so it never ends. Obviously, but it's uh, December. We won't have like the practices maybe as much. We'll see um, in the game on January second. Uh, but yes, it's going to be kind of crazy with all the transfer stuff. It becomes such a big part of college football. So we'll be diving into that. And uh, if you're not on uscfootball.com as a VIP subscriber, you need to get in there. Like I said, fifty percent off. An annual membership right now. So make sure you go check it out. If you're monthly, I think you can uh, upgrade too for 50% off. So that's going to work. So make sure you guys go check that out. Yeah, and if you're here on YouTube, make sure you're hitting that like button wherever you guys are. Subscribe, hit the notification bell, leave your comments, uh, and make sure to share with friends and family. Also, if you're on the website, you can go check out Chris's game day ghost notes uh, from the Pac-12 championship game. USC field level highlights. The few that there were are on the YouTube channel right now. So make sure you're subscribing, liking anywhere that you are. Thank you guys for tuning in. Enjoy bowl season. Uh, there'll be a, you know, a Tunnel Vision preview show eventually for the Cotton Bowl. But enjoy the time off. Enjoy the transfer portal news and the signing period news. And we will We'll see you next time.